the pulse of the Hawkesbury. Pulse 89.9. On Richard's retrospectives, we've, of course, look at the great music from all around the world, and I try and feature as much Australian music as I can from the 60s, 70s and 80s all the way through. And I'm absolutely delighted uh, today, this afternoon, to be joined by one of the most iconic guitarists in Australian music history, uh, none other than the great Kevin Borich, joining me from the Sunshine Coast. Good afternoon to you, Kevin, and thanks for joining us on Pulse FM. Good afternoon to you too, Richard. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going going well, and you're going particularly well. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat to you about your illustrious career, so if you don't mind me winding back a few years... Uh, back. Oh, just, just, there's a long way to wind. <laughs> just keep winding. Okay. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe it. I did a bit of research. You can't be that old, is he? You can't be that old. But but <laughs> you're going strong and uh, you sound fantastic and, and you've had a, a couple of health issues, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But if we go back, you're, you're actually a New Zealander and it's incredible how many – uh, New Zealanders came to Australia in the same time that you did, and I think of the likes of Mike Rudd and, and the Split Ends guys, Tim and Neil Finn. Um, in New Zealand, you when did you first pick up a guitar? What what made you pick up a guitar? Um, I just was probably just hearing the radio, and um, um, I, I, mean, um, I went to my parents, took, they were Croatian people, they went to the Dalmatian Club, and, and Peter Posel was playing. He was a, a Croatian um, hotshot guitar player, very young. And um, I was just glued down the front. He had the beautiful um, Les Paul, mm. white Les Paul with three pickups on it. And um, that's the first time I'd, I'd heard, he had a, uh, a hit on the radio called White Rabbit. So I guess that, that sort of really helped me. And, and just listening to the radio and hearing music and wanting to know what it's about. And then I started miming with the tennis racket yep. and singing along with the radio. And mum and dad would look at each other and go, well, that's a bit strange. You know, he's not, he hasn't got a very good forehand or a backhand. He's, <laughs> he's pretending to play the guitar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they bought me um, a guitar, a beautiful guitar. And um, I got a chord book and um, basically just taught myself through the chord book. And, um, you know, when I was 12, I actually could play songs. So um, the girls next door, we had, there were two young girls who were singing. And we did a, I've actually got a CD of me playing at 12 years old with these, these girls, the Donaldson twins, and they called themselves the Chicks later and had a few hits in New Zealand. And um, they were on the poultry farm next door. And uh, hence the name of Chicks, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so their mother took us into Queen Street. We just all got to a studio and stood around one mic and um, and sang about eight songs. And um, later I, I found it when mum was moving house when she was getting very old and I was over there and I found the acetate line over here. I took it to um, Canberra to the archive centre and they put it on a CD for me and that was before you could do all, the, all that sort of stuff at home. Right. Um, they had the technology back then, of course. And, um, yeah, so I've got that as a CD, which is uh, which is quite amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that, that song, I think you were 12 years of age and it was released yeah. on Astor. And I can relate to the tennis racket. I used to strum a tennis racket. And I don't know about you, but the Beatles had a mag, uh, just a, such a – when I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, I wanted to play the guitar probably like you. And mum and dad bought me a ukulele and that was my beginnings. So we all yeah, have I'd similar stories. Have, I did. I, yeah, I did go through the ukulele for a, a couple of weeks, but I wanted I wanted one like um, you could see guys playing, you know, the bigger ones, and there was a that was a the twelve the six string. So 
yeah, that's that's how it, it all started. And basically, just the music, you know, even going and seeing seeing the black and white movies of um, the rock and roll black and white movies, and even the um, Marx Brothers. When yeah, the, the music that would did you know they and one of the Marx Brothers could play piano really strangely yeah. with his way, way he hit the high high notes with one other finger. Yeah, check and, um, and then Harpo. Would would find a harp somewhere, and then the whole the whole theatre would change the vibe. He would change the vibration on, and and play this beautiful music, and and that was like an education on what music can do to the, the people, you know, mm. the, the vibration that the music can do. Um, and because it was all madcap until he started playing, and then everything was like silent, and, and it was playing beautiful stuff, you know. So that taught taught me something about music. And of course, this was back before the Beatles and Beatlemania hit. This is around nineteen sixty, sixty, sixty-one. You know, you know, I saw Little Richard going crazy, and his high energy delivery, you know, and that great voice of his, and the way he'd hang the piano and bash it and <laughs> stuff with it, uh, you know, and um, you know, all, all those early guys, Fats Domino, um, of course, the Bill Haley and the mm. Comets with the Rock Around the Clock song. And of course, the Elvis was coming. We used to go and see those movies, and um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what got me in when I was a kid. You know, what, seeing all that um, great magic happen through music. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in your teenage years, did you pursue your education, or were you just solely focused on your guitar? Like, did you? No, I went to high school, yeah. and you know, and um, you know, just just went to, through the high school thing, and. Um, but I, I was grew up in an orchard, and Mum and Dad worked hard, and had, had a, I was the only son, so and I had a sister's arena, and um, I was to go on and go and be on the land, and that never really happened. I was always going to go back on the on the um, orchard when I was old, at thirty years old. I figured that, that would be what would happen, you know. Uh, I'd get over it, but I just kept riding the musical wave, and then the lardy does um, happened out of high school. Yeah. And um, and we had some hit records, so yeah, you, sure you know. Did. And the reason, and the reason why in those days, why everyone came to Australia is because it's hard for people now to understand uh, young people. Because back then, the world was a huge place, you know. Mm-hmm. To go to Australia was a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you wouldn't dare go anywhere else because there was, you know, it was before the jet the airplanes and everything. Yeah. And um, you, you just wouldn't think about that. You you do the big step to Australia. Now you'd go to America because uh, you know the music game is a is a numbers game and there's more more people over there and and you've got more chance of um making making money because of um just because of the the population. So, so your first band in New Zealand, I think, was actually called the Mergers. Uh, the Mergers. Yeah, that that grew. It was too much of a murky name. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were in the kitchen and. Uh, of Trevor Wilson, the bass player, think going in the kitchen when his mum was working in the kitchen, and and um, we were going through names like the Criminals, and you know, trying to be hardcore kind of dudes, and and you know, she she had piped up and said, "Why don't you Why don't you call yourself something nice like like the Lady Dars?" And we all sort of went, "Oh, what? It's <laughs> not." And after you know, trying to think of a name, we thought, "Oh, let's go with that." It's, it's silly enough and stupid, so we'll, we'll go with that. So, so, and, uh, so before you came to Australia, were you were you um, well known in New Zealand? Like, did you have a, a, a following in New Zealand? Did you play in the pub, oh, yeah. pubs and clubs? Yeah, we there? were we were sort of doing we're doing tours right right through because when you if you got it, you know, we had top ten hits. Yeah. 
So you're on the radio, so you become, you know, a fame. You've got the fame thing, and then you you can attract people because of the, the name and because of the because of the radio. Yeah. It's, it's broadcasting. It's always been a, a thing with with musicians. You, if you're on the radio, you you're earning a hell of a lot more money because you're getting to different more ears, you know. And that's what's so great about guys like you playing Australian music, you know, to help the artists. So that's great also to enjoy the music, but. You know, New Zealand is such a small place. There's more people in you know in Sydney than there are in the whole of New Zealand, and so it's um it's it's just the first step. And in those days, it was a big step. But these days, um, people who think they can do something in music will go further afield to where there's more more population. So the Lardy Dars were well and truly established and had a following in New Zealand. Yeah. Top ten hits on the radio. What year did you come to Australia and did you go straight to Sydney or did you go to Melbourne? Because in the late 60s, the, the pub rock scene, well, the pub rock scene was starting to emerge in Melbourne around that period. Where did you yeah, go to from before, New Zealand? Well, we came before in the early 60s, about 64, I think, and um, and we went to Sydney and um, we played there. Uh, we played actually old, um, at the bowl that was, um, I think it was a, a revolving stage and we supported the, I think we supported um, I can't remember who we supported uh, it was a long time ago Friday in my mind the Friday the on my easy mind beats. yeah yeah yep the easy beats and, uh, yeah, yeah and then we, we did a trip to Melbourne and of course we ran out of money and then we had to go back and we did a you know we did a farewell tour in New Zealand and then we came over here ran out of money went back had a welcoming home tour <laughs> And basically, to fill the coffers with money and um, and keep coming back. That happened probably about four, four or five times before we got a foothold here. Yeah. And people thought we were pretty good, and we, you know, we managed to hook up agencies and stuff and start getting work. So, <clears throat> yeah, we, we kind of ended up staying here. So, uh, and of course, oh, yeah. the band sort of went from you know what the first dr- drummer didn't want to keep touring, and so you know, the, and after a long time, the um, the band went to a three-piece, and that was how back in the when it was in the seventies, everyone sort of decided to go different ways because we we grew up together from school, you know. So yeah. everyone everyone starts getting different ideas and wanting to do different things. So it was just a natural progression, and um, and I started writing then, and I did the first album and, and the Kim Boric Express. Um, after we did one under the um, Ladidas name yep. because I knew it would attract more more shows because of the name and um, that was called Rock and Roll Sandwich and uh, that's just been re-released too uh, as a CD. I, um, and I'm sure you will remember this, on the ABC or Channel 2 as it used to be known in those days, there was a show yeah. called GTK, Getting to Know. And oh yeah, it, and it used that, to... was, that was a, what a show that was. <laughs> oh, that was so cool. That was, that was like we were just doing it. We'd go and set up and there would be multiple bands on over a certain period of the recording day, you know, and um, you just set up and play, and mm. um, that's that's sort of unheard of now, you know. It's, it's all got to be more showbiz now, but that was really warts and all stuff, you know. You, you'd get up and you'd play, and, and that's and that was that was the show, and um, yeah, yeah. Was Bernie Cannon, Bernie Cannon um, was the guy that um, produced it and had the idea for it, so. Uh, people can get hold of the early Australian rock. You can you can get it from GDK. Um, it's been re-released. Uh, it has, I think it's, uh, yeah. So, so that's some, a good indication of what was going on in those days. Yeah. You know? and there was no 
no fiddling with the sound. That was sort of what, what it was. You played it, that's what it was. Yeah, on the internet, you can you can Google it, you can find it. Uh, there's every episode of GDK is accessible. And in 1971, uh, and I actually remember this, uh, of course, uh, you were on GDK uh, um, with uh, Gonna See My Baby Tonight, which was written by you, and, and, and you're up there. You've got the Jeff Beck hairdo going. You're wearing the guitar slightly higher than what you uh, would later on, a bit George Harrison-like. And in 1971, yeah. you, you you had Daddy Cool releasing Eagle Rock, you had Spectrum releasing I'll Be Gone, and the Lardidars releasing Gonna See My Baby Tonight. How well did that song uh, do for you in terms of you know on the charts and the? Well, it, it, it's still doing well. It still gets in like a golden oldie, which gets played a lot, and um, you know that got us into the top ten. I think we got to number four or something. Um, when of course we were doing a lot of shows with Daddy Cool and um, Spectrum in those days, and Billy Thorpe and um, a lot of bands from Melbourne because we ended up in Melbourne for a while because that seemed to have more shows. And then later, the pub scene was um, in New South Wales as well. You know, maybe We were doing five nights a week, man. I'm writing a book, and awesome. in, one, in one section is going to be from about um, in the 70s to an early 80s, a whole, every gig I did printed oh, wow. out from the agency because I got caught speeding so many times. <laughs> I had I had to go into try and convince the judge that I wasn't just a hoon. I had to get to the gigs, you know. And he he said he actually said a under his wig. Oh yes, at great haste too. Yes, and so and so you know. Um, and when we we presented all the things I did for nothing for for good causes, he he said, "What's this?" The second coming. <laughs> Kevin, we're going to have a snip. I'm going to play a snippet of Going to See My Baby Tonight for those that, uh, uh, well, I'm sure everyone will recognise it. Now, this is off your Express Live album, so it's not the Lardy-Dars version. But I'm just, going okay. to, I'm just going to play it. There's some great lines in, uh, great lines in there. Uh, let's have a bit of a listen to Kevin Borich and Going to See Me ba- My Baby Tonight from 1971. I'm gonna love you all night long. But when the street lights die, I'll be gone. Whoa,
Kevin, is it fair to say that that really kick-started and launched your career, particularly here in Australia? Yeah. I mean, like I said, airplay is, is the conduit to sort of fame and fortune um, because you're getting to people's ears and it's just um, otherwise, you know, you're, you're playing in your own thing at home and or whatever lo- locally, but it, it gets bigger when you, um, you know, because your live performances are, are what, what gets you up popular as well but the radio is just you know the big the big one you know you get, you, you get known and you haven't even gone there you know <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's coming through the radio people get it in their heads and they go oh, I like that song we're going to go see the band so it, it, it's um, so important that you get airplay if not you just you just have to struggle and do the live work all over and of course then it's hard to go anywhere because people don't <laughs> who you are and what you're like and it's like they're not going to pay any money to, to somebody who's, who's unknown so you know, radio is the important, most important thing as far as uh, getting promoted and, and, uh, and getting on an audience. Um, if you if you're good live, well, that helps a lot. You know, you but it's more hard work. You've got to get there and do the road and and keep going to places and slowly build up. But radio is like the big kick. Yeah, and and. Um that kicks, you know, the lardy does, and then you morphed into Kevin Boric Express, and I'm just going back in time now, a little bit of history. I saw you, I'm sure it was the Kevin Boric Express, not the lardy does. I think it was 1974. It was at a school, the, the, a lot of the schools in those days would have live bands play at their school dances and, and other Yeah, and, all, and also lunchtime. Lun- that's, yeah. I'm sure it was a lunchtime gig. And I was about 13 or 14, and there you were, and you ripped into Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower, and I remember it to this day. It absolutely blew me apart. Yeah, well, it's great. They've asked me to play that at the, at doing some Bob Dylan section at the um, Byron Bay Festival, and I'm, a lot of the artists are doing Bob Dylan songs, like a couple of Bob Dylan songs each, and I've got Highway 61 I've got to play. Um, on the slide on the Firebird, and um, I'm going to be doing all on the Watchtower too. Oh, fantastic! I, I did omit uh, to, to make mention that you played at Sunbury in 1972, and I think Sunbury went for two years only, 72 and 73. You played, yeah, the I, fir- did, I did two of them. Yes. Oh, you did both, yeah. So the 72 yeah, su- Sunbury was that Lardy Dars or Kevin Boric Express? Um, but it was a. I think we might have did it as a lady does the first in the early days, and then I did it um, the, the express. No, I would have been under. The, I, I would have just released um, Rock and Roll Sandwich under the lady da name, but it was a trio, so it was the start of my three piece of Kim Boric Express things, but using the lady does name because no one else wanted it, and I knew that I'd get more work right. by using a name that would be had been had a, rep, a reputation. What uh, What are your memories of that Sunbury? Was it Was that the Deep Purple? Uh, Sunbury yeah, was deep one of them. One of the one of them was the last one, and um, I was going backstage, and I saw this um, caravan with with the door open, and, the, and about a hundred strat, Stratocaster guitars oh. in there, and a guy tuning them all up and stuff. <laughs> and it was Richie Blackmore's guitar tech, and he, I was, I was going wow, wow, and all that. And um, he, was, he said, uh, "Who was that playing before?" Richie really liked it, and I said, "Well, that was my band, Kevin right. Borich." And yeah. The guy and the lady does, and I said, "Oh, tell him to come down to a gig." And he actually, the next night in um, Melbourne, he who comes through the bloody crowd with a white strap, 
above his hand, um, which he was in tow, and his Brady had it, and he was pulling the radio to the stage, plugged into one of my marshals, and away we went. Oh, wow. Tell me you didn't do smoke on the water. No, we didn't. We, <laughs> he, just, he, just, he didn't want to. He just wanted to play what we were playing. Right. You know? Fantastic. He, he just joined in and jammed, so he was wonderful. You've, yeah. you've played with and alongside some... Some of the great musicians uh, in the world and some of the great great guitarists, and I'll get to Carlos Santana in a minute, but you supported the great Jeff Beck, of course, from the Yardbirds, and then um, you actually reminded me, your look and everything, your, your hairstyle reminded me of Jeff Beck in the day. Uh, what a thrill it must have been to support the great Jeff Beck. Yeah, uh, he's, he's just so innovative, innovative you know. He's, he's um, been carving out his... Um, instrumental songs and and that um ever since and every time there's there's, a, there's an eye opener and an ear opener of, um, of of his brilliant sort of um, approach to the guitar you know and his own definition of a hit of a great art as artist is they they've got their own sounds and he definitely has oh. carved out that and um and amazing dexterity and playability and and all those wonderful attributes you need to um to be up there like him, and um, so yeah, we're big fans. And we he played a show in um, Adelaide outdoors and um, show, and we supported him. So it was it was a great thing to do. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on Jeff Beck because this is about you. But he he, he plays with his. Th- you listen to me. How does he make that sound? And his use of the tremolo arm. Uh, he's just yeah, just he's amazing. A, he's, yeah, he's got a wonderful high gain sort of um, sound, so he gets a lot of sustain. And but he's he's great. But he uses his fingers, and when you actually pluck with your fingers, you get you get more um, you, you get more character in, into um, into the delivery of the note, you know. And um, and the great thing about him is he can play fast stuff with his thumb. I think it is. I'm not sure, yeah, but it's it's, whatever it is, he, he does it. It's pretty brilliant. And using the trim bar as an as an as another. Sort of thing, he has a floating bridge, which means he can actually pull it up as well, and the note up as well as go down, you know. So he can, he can get a lot of sort of um, uh, expression out of out of um, that, that technique. And one of the other great guitarists of all time, of course, Carlos Santana, and you shared the stage with him. I think it was mid seventies, maybe nineteen seventy seven. I had a quick look at that YouTube. You had the Levi jeans on. I think you had bare feet, and you didn't have a shirt on. You were ripped, and you looked absolutely fantastic. And wow, what a thrill that must have been to play with Carlos. Yeah, well, see, I didn't know I was going to get called up, and I'm, I'm sort of it was very hot, and um, I was watching side of stage, the opposite side to where. Um, uh, Carlos was actually standing, and I was on the other side of it with a keyboard player or whoever it was over that side. And uh, all of a sudden, this roadie comes up and grabs me and goes, "He wants you out there. He wants you out there." Wow! And I'm going, "What? What? 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 What?" And so, I, of course, I get led over there and I get the guitar plonked on my over me, and they plug me in, and there you are, sixty thousand people. And they all started going nuts because they'd, they'd acknowledged the local, I guess, was oh, what yeah. it was. And, um, and um, yeah, we ripped them for a while and played, played a little bit. And then one of the amps did work or the volume went down and then that was it. <laughs> uh, for all of our <laughs> listeners, if you, if you get a chance, YouTube Carlos Santana with Kevin Borich, it is sensational. We'll talk about Jeff Walsh. Uh, Jeff Walsh. Um, Joe Walsh. Uh, soon, yeah. um, but you well tell us about 
tell us about Joe Walsh. How, how did that all come about? Um, well, um, I was asked to do uh, a big foundation member. I thought of the name, the sorry, the Party Boys, because um, he didn't have a name for the idea. And um, I said, okay, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, that sounds like a good thing. And I said, what are you going to call it? He said, I don't know. Um, I haven't got a name. And I said, what, well, you want it to be like a party sort of thing and, and have some fun, relaxed and that sort of thing. He said, yeah. And I, I had a flash and I just went, oh, call it the party boys. And of course, you know, he loved, that, loved the name and we wanted to got really popular. But unbeknownst to me, he went and registered the name under his own name. And then um, he went one time, um, he presented the fact that uh, with the agency that um, – Richard, Richard, uh, no, um, the animal singer. Oh, Eric Burton. Burton. Yeah. Eric Burton. And I thought, oh, great, yeah, that's great. And then, um, and then uh, he goes, uh, oh, you're going to be on a wage from now on, and because I'd made a deal with him that I'd, I'd want to be on the same money as him if I was going to do this thing, and, and um, he said, I said, what do you mean? We made had a deal, you know. Um, and I got cheesed off, and, I, and, and then I, he said, well, you can't do anything. I've registered a name in, in, my, in his name. So I, I just when I left the band. Mm. And uh, I haven't talked to him ever again. And, uh, well, hang on, we did some other stuff, but, you know, he's just one of those people that you couldn't trust. So, well, um, that's, that's not uncommon in the music industry, uh, is it, Kevin? That, yeah, that and it ruined the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't be still doing it if he wasn't so bloody greedy and stupid. So... Uh, that's the character that you come across now and again, unfortunately, and the idea is to try not to have anything to do with people like that. Uh, let's fast forward to more recent times. Of course, uh, we've been in, in lockdown, but you've been hard in the studio at home there up on the Sunshine Coast. I was really interested, in 2020, you did a collaboration with Russell Morris. Tell us about that. I will, and I should mention about that, that before. Um, that's how I met Joe Walsh, by the way, mm. and um, got to play with Joe and the party boys and then um i did gigs with him um we, he, when he came out and just joined my band and we did a festival a little festival out the back of Tari, and that's how i got to know joe so that was a good thing that came out of that we're thing gonna, we're gonna go out of the but, show. Um, yeah gonna... like the, to getting getting further on to um this duet thing i'm doing so yeah russell morris i put it to him i had this great song um called call a friend and I thought, oh, Russell would be great to do it because the idea was oh, we're going to do a duet album. So it was the first track we did. And Russell's been such a lovely fella. He goes, yeah, sure, Kev, I'll do that. And um, so we've done it and released it. and got quite a lot of airplay. And it's, um, it, you know, the, the song sort of grew the meaning of the song, like Call a Friend, because, you know, things going going bad. bad. It, it, it sort of presents itself to many situations whereby people are in depression or they're coming back from the fighting in the war or mm. they've been knocked over the floods or whatever and fire and you name it, you know, yeah. in good old Australia. And uh, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's got a thing about, you know, you, you need support. And if, if you know somebody that's going through a hard time, why don't you, you know, you should just check up on them and make sure they're okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, that song lent itself and Russell did a fantastic job as he always does. And, and, um, that's what the rest of the album is going to be. Um, and um, as far as when it's going to be released, well, we were, I was going to release another one. But I'm not going to tell you who's on because I want them all to be surprises, folks. Right. And, uh, yeah, and so 
we've got we've got a, a whole album done of different people, some and in, in, in international people and a lot of local oh. great people. And um, can't wait for that. So what we're going to do, we're going to release a, a legacy um, CD, a bunch of CDs, three CDs of um, people come up after a show when I'm playing, when I'm selling sort of my t- CDs and stuff. And um, they say, well, what's your favorite stuff? So I, I put together a three CD set of um, all the songs that I think from over like from my early vinyl to, 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 to up to the nineties kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, so I'll have to present that, you know, and that's so we were going to release that first, and then uh, that should be in a month or two, and then after that, when that after that sort of fades a bit, and we'll, we'll release the duet song. And uh, so the so the lockdown's been creative for me as far as um, doing two albums and that are recorded and all ready to go, you know. So, um, and of course, it's, it's a, and of course, you are still playing live with your. Th- your Three piece band. Yeah, I, I, the next one, the next one down in anywhere near you guys and around Hawkesbury is like, um, it's called the Pelican RSL and it's um, near Newcastle. Yep. And it's like an afternoon thing on the 21st of May, mm. folks. So if you want to uh, go, it's, it's like back there. There's a few bands on. I'm just looking at the poster here on my, t- on my <laughs> um, computer. So the Thin Blues Band, DB8, who are very popular. And we've had supporters before, Leroy, Leroy and the Rats and the Jungle Kings. So, yeah, that's um, on the 21st of May. starts at 11.30 a.m. at the Pelican RSL. So it's kind of like a mini festival. Uh, won't be too far for you guys to go. And are you the headline act, Kevin? Are you the headliner? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And prior to that, of course, you're playing at the Byron Bay Blues Festival, which I think is just after Easter. Yeah, that's right. We've got the Thursday, the opening day. Um, I'll also be doing um, a Bob Dylan, a couple of Bob Dylan songs on that day. And then um, on Friday we play as well. So we're doing the Thursday and the Friday. So uh, get there early and come down the front of the stage and yahoo. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and look, um, you've, you're on Facebook. You've got your website. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can go on my website, folks, and um, and you can scroll down the main uh page and you can get to put your email in and I'll send out um, emails to you with, with news about what I'm doing. I don't pester you no. and uh, because you know, I know what it's like. You get too many people sending shit. So yeah. uh, it's kind of like a way I can communicate and you guys can give me feedback too. Tell me what you think I should do. A lot of people have mentioned about some of these albums I should be releasing and that's what what those people would be happy about is um, they'll be off to get the 3D set of um, my favourite stuff. I'll be I'll be uh, looking out for that, uh, Kevin. I'll send you one. I'll send you. Yeah, one. I will. I've got your number in my phone now, so I'll send you my details. Uh, I've just done my own little album called Life Locked: 100 Days of Lockdown in Western Sydney, a guitar yeah. a guitar <laughs> instrumental thing that I put together. I actually did a EP. Good on you. I did an EP. In, I did an EP in 2016 with Rex Go. Do you know Rex? Yeah, what I know a, Rex. Yeah, they, they they used to support us a lot, or we used to support them, depending who had the most airplay at the time. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been um, it's, it's been great. They they they're out and doing stuff. I think. Well, yeah. So, so um, I mean, there's, we're we're talking to Australian guitar royalty here. Kevin Borich in the uh, Harvey James was a brilliant guitarist. Uh, you you played yeah. with, you played with Harvey. Harvey was with Ariel, then went to Sherbert. 
Peter Northcote. He was a party boy for a little while. Too. Yeah, he was too. Yeah, Peter Northcote's a great pl- player down here. Rex Go. But... Wonderful player. Wonderful player. Oh, he, oh, lovely guy. Yeah. Lovely guy. And you're you you are the doyen, Kevin. You are going strong. You sound great. You're releasing new music. Uh, your catalogue of music is available on the streaming services, so I encourage everyone to, 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 to get onto that, have a look at what's out there and what is coming. Um, YouTube, the Carlos Santana stuff, and I'm going to go out. You mentioned Joe Walsh, of course, of Eagles fame. Um, yeah. Wrote one of the great rock songs, Rocky Mountain Way, and this is a live version featuring both you and Joe. Uh, I, I'm not exactly too sure what the venue was. I think you mentioned it early on. But we're going into the 5 yeah. o'clock news. This is a bit of an extended play and the guitar interplay between these two legends of uh, uh, the guitar is amazing stuff and I hope everyone enjoys and laps it up. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Pulse FM. It's been great to talk to you. You're one of my childhood uh, guitar heroes, so it's been an absolute pleasure for me. And, look, I would get up to Newcastle on the 21st, but I'm actually getting married. So, ah, so I can't, and, and the bloody prime yeah, all the best, all the best. <laughs> yeah. And my yeah. band is playing at the wedding. We're the entertainment. So, and also, Great. and we've got to vote. Morrison called the election today for the same date. So it's a big day for everyone. <laughs> uh, we've had Kevin Boric. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. All the best to you. We we look forward to hearing some more great music uh, coming out uh, of you in the years to come. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on uh, Pulse FM. Thank this you, afternoon. Richard. Thank you, mate. Thank you very And here much. we go out with Rocky Mountain Way featuring the great Kevin Boric and Joe.
The Pulse of the Hawkesbury. Pulse 89.9. 89.